Just imagine if you could have devices on your body that anticipate the disease before it actually happens. Anticipate your immune system losing control. A cancer cell, which your immune system takes care of it and it starts multiplying before it becomes a danger to you, this device in your body, this sensor will sense the cancer cell. The computer somewhere at some central location will say, hey, you're about to get sick. You go to the doctor or you pop a pill and you don't die. That was Marty Cooper speaking about what the future of the mobile cell phone might look like. Mobile cell phones are again our focus on this episode, episode number 72 of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. If you've been around over the past few decades, you're probably as amazed as I am about how much our phones have changed over the years, not only in their design, but in how and where they are used. In part two of this two-part series, we're going to cover some of the challenges that were faced in bringing the first mobile cell phones to the marketplace. We're also going to look at how our cell phones might function in the future and what opportunities that might present. Perhaps most importantly, we'll also receive some great tips on how you might live a long, satisfying, and productive life well into your 90s. And who better to speak to us about all this than the person credited with inventing the first mobile cell phone, Martin Cooper. Now in his 90s, Martin Cooper is the chairman at Dyna LLC. He also serves on the boards of several other public and private companies. Marty is a pioneer in the wireless industry and was responsible for many of the business and technological concepts behind today's paging, mobile radio, and cellular businesses worldwide. Many of Marty's innovations were introduced during his 29 years working with Motorola. Marty's been involved in numerous business startups in his career. He's also been granted nine patents and won many prestigious awards, including being named one of Time Magazine's Top 100 Inventors in History. Marty Cooper is also the author of the acclaimed book, Cutting the Cord, How the Cell Phone Has Transformed Humanity. Marty earned both his bachelor's and master's degrees from the Illinois Institute of Technology, where he serves as a trustee. Marty, did you initially, at Motorola, even though the culture was it's okay to fail, was there much internal resistance to what you were trying to do? Or did the leaders of the company, including Paul Galvin, buy into this and say, go for it? Well, uh, that's a, a, a very important thing. And the answer is, of course, there was resistance. And just think about it. Uh, uh, we started this battle with AT&T in uh, 1969. And we immediately started working on uh, development, on understanding this thing. We spent a huge amount of money hiring lobbyists because AT&T had 200 lobbyists in Washington just calling on the FCC, who are the decision makers on this, mm. we had three people calling on the Congress and the FCC <laughs> and everybody else. So here we were spending all this money 
between 1969 and 1983, when Sailor became a business, Motorola had spent in excess of $100 million, which would be today almost a billion dollars. They bet the company on this. So talk about a, a vision. It, it was very easy for me to come up with this idea and to find the extraordinary uh, team members to build this thing. But somebody had to have the vision to know that uh, we could be successful. There were a lot of people in the company who were working very hard to earn money. And here we were spending it like mad. Uh, and they were saying, but, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. So hard for us to earn money selling these things. Uh, and you've got this crazy idea that not everybody agrees uh, can ever be implemented. So uh, I uh, spent a lot of time in the book giving credit to people like Bob Galvin, who was the chairman at the time, uh, John Mitchell, who was my uh, mentor uh, and who inspired me with a lot of the issues that had to do with personal communications. Bill Weiss, who was president. The management was extraordinarily supportive. Uh, the bean counters and I shouldn't say it uh, that disrespectfully <laughs> because we need the financial people. Right. They were not very happy with us. Yeah, they were much more concerned about it. One thing that occurred to me, Marty, and I'm wondering if you could just spend a few minutes speaking to this. In order to have the cell phone that you helped to design and create and distribute, you had to have an infrastructure for cell phone use. Where did you fit into that? Were you working with whoever was involved with putting up cell phone towers and stuff? How did that all happen? Oh, well, you know, that's one of the myths uh, of inventions that you could invent a thing like a cell phone. Because the, what uh, my colleagues and I did is invented the entire system and we patented it. There is a patent, Cooper et al., and it's got actually a picture of the original cell phone, uh, but it also it talked about the entire system that was required and the nature not only of the cell phone system, but of a portable cell phone system. Nobody had invented such a system before, which is why we got a patent. Uh, and so when we wanted to demonstrate that phone in 1973, it wasn't just building a phone. We had to actually build uh, what's called a terminal but it is, it is the switchboard. When you make a phone call with a cell phone, uh, you initiate a call, pushing the send button, that call goes to a cell site, that cell site is connected to a switchboard. And that switchboard is much more complicated than a wired telephone switchboard because it has to account for the fact that you could be anywhere. You not only could be anywhere, you could move from one station to another. So. We had to not only come up with a cell phone, we had to build a whole infrastructure. And all of that was done in a matter of three months. Wow. It's an incredible achievement. Fortunately, a lot of the technology we wanted was located throughout Motorola. And I did a lot of wandering around the company, twisting people's arms, getting them to abandon things they were doing and help us get that first cell phone and the first cell phone terminal out. Uh, and when we did demonstrate the phone in Washington and, and in New York, uh, we actually had people out in the field, people that were Motorola two-way radio people uh, who, who knew how to find a site on top of a building, who knew how to put an antenna up and how to put a station. So 
but your uh, comment was uh, very accurate. Uh, cellular is not a headset. It's a complete system. Yeah, it sounds so complicated to me. I'm amazed that people like you were able to figure this all out because what we see is just this little device. Yeah. But for that device to work, I realized there was so much else that had to be done. Now we're going to get into something that you've been talking about, and you certainly spoke about it in your book, which is the essence of looking forward. We're going to look a little forward. So I'm wondering if you might predict what you think we'll see in the way of changes in telecommunications, Marty, over the next several years, whether it be how our devices are used, how they look, who's using them. What do you envision over the next, I'm not talking 20 years, I'm just saying like maybe in this decade, what, what would you imagine we might see? If anybody would have a good handle on it, it would be Marty Cooper. Well, it's a nice compliment, but uh, let me disabuse you, first of all. <laughs> okay. Nothing is going to happen within the next year or two. It, it takes, uh, if you want to do something really different, just the tooling up and the creation of the software and the invention, it, so... Uh, when iPhone announces their next version, uh, the changes are going to be uh, incremental. But what us uh, futurists do uh, is we look at the long-term trends and we understand that it's not the, the gadgetry that does it. It's what how people use these things, how they adapt it, how the technology makes their lives more efficient, what makes their lives better. And one of the things the trends that's happening is customization and personalization. The whole idea of uh, customizing by having you use a common phone, same as everybody else, but uh, select among two millions app, that's ludicrous. So wh what's this new phone gonna look like in the future? And the first thing is you always need to be connected. And so there'll be something on your body, uh, hopefully not held up in your hand in this awkward position. Yeah that will connect you with the outside world. Forget about that, it's a self-psych you're talking about, that's your connection. But now, how does it connect you? Well, everything that we do now is suboptimal. Flat surface, round face, holding up an awkward position. I know what an optimal phone is like. A phone that's an earring, stuck in my ear, maybe someday embedded under my skin. It's got a very powerful computer in it. I want to talk to Jeff Oftroff. I just say, get Jeff on the phone. And they say, which Jeff What? <laughs> I said, Jeff Oftroff. And, and next thing you know, I'm talking to you, and I'm doing it with no effort and not having to learn anything other than the English language. To me, that's an awesome phone. But what about all the other things the phone does? Well, for healthcare, you're going to have devices, uh, or once again, either a patch on your body or something implanted that connects to the phone and that measures things on your body. It knows what to measure because it's aware of your DNA, not somebody else's. So it knows what you're sensitive to uh, and it can predict possible failures in your body. Think about what disease is, Jeff. Your body is just full of all kinds of baddies, bacteria, viruses, infection. And your immune system handles all these things. We define disease as when the immune system 
loses control. Just imagine if you could have devices on your body that anticipate the disease before it actually happens. Anticipate your immune system losing control. A cancer cell, which your immune system takes care of it, and it starts multiplying before it becomes a danger to you, this device in your body, this sensor, will sense the cancer cell. The computer somewhere at some central location will say, hey, you're about to get sick. You go to the doctor or you pop a pill and you don't die. There is the potential. I'm not talking about 10 years. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, okay. A generation for cancer. It may be several generations. For congestive heart failure, we know how to do it today. We know how to put a sensor in your body that will anticipate you're getting sick and very simply stop you from dying. So that is one uh, thing that's going to happen. The educational system uh, is one way or another uh, going to uh, be revolutionized because students today can be connected to the internet, have access to all the information in the world. Does it make any sense to have a teacher standing up and relating information to them? The whole role of what a teacher is, is is going to change. Teachers will be teaching people how to use the tools, how to live, which is what they should be teaching now, and, and leaving it up to you to get educated. How did you get educated, Jeff? It wasn't going to school. It was getting out of the world and solving problems. Yeah. The whole nature of how we treat uh, education is, is going to change. The whole concept of collaboration is changing by this device that no longer looks like a cell phone. It's now an extension of your body. It extends your body in the way that is most convenient to you. So you don't even know what's happening. You don't have to learn how to use this thing. It's not only intuitive, it's invisible. It's there to help you when you need it. It knows when to help you, when not to, and you don't even have to think about it. That's my vision of what the long-range phone is going to be, and that's not going to happen suddenly, but Google's already talking about it, putting artificial intelligence uh, into the phone. The first ones are going to be primitive. Uh, they may be just games. We're going to learn how to let these uh, artificial intelligences help us. The nature of the phone uh, is going to change gradually, and with it, a generation or, or so, we won't even recognize what a cell phone was. Wow. Just to clarify one thing, your vision, Marty, would be there is a device that might sit on or in our ear that allows us to communicate with people, but these other devices are communicating with that phone device, or are they operating separately from the phone device? I didn't make myself clear. This gadget we have on our body, I call it a server. It's got some co computational capability, but its most important thing is connecting us with the outside world. Now we figured out what are the functions that we're looking for. Well, we want to extend our vision. There has to be a way of seeing things electronically better than looking at this tiny screen. We, uh, we've already had some efforts at that Google Glass. Uh, there are going to be ways of your being able to uh, have a, a virtual reality, whatever you call the other kind of uh, reality, uh, where you have a combination of virtual reality uh, and uh, your own sight. So here we are extending vision. The, the first thing we do is extend speech. Uh, and then we start using the devices to measure on our body 
and we hopefully will eliminate uh, disease. Ultimately, we'll not have to travel because the fidelity that we will get with whatever the future of the cell phone is will be so good that you and I will be talking to each other uh, and there will be uh, essentially no difference between that and us being in the same room, even though you're a thousand miles away. So uh, that's the long-term vision. As I say, that is generations away. But if you're going to think about how to approach the future, remember what my message for the book is, the increments happen slowly, each step of the way. But in order to do those steps, you have to have a vision. You have to know what the long-range future looks like. That's what us futurists do. We think about the roadmap uh, of the uh, future. Uh, and I, by the way, I think every engineer ought to do that, ought to be thinking about what's his long-range objective and how he's moving toward that objective. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. You need that vision, and the vision is usually something that's out there somewhere. It's not here, but you also have to think about the steps it will take to get there. Now, the other aspect of looking forward, which you were kind of touching on, but maybe I'd like you to touch upon it more directly, Marty, is looking forward is also about letting people know about opportunities. And as you know, a lot of people have lost their jobs due to COVID. We always have students who are trying to figure out what to do with their lives. We have people like you who are entrepreneurial looking for opportunities. There are people changing careers, second careers, and then there are investors looking for opportunities. Where do you see opportunities for any of these individuals over the next several years? What would you advise them? You remember back in the day with Dustin Hoffman, he was told plastics, right? Where do you see opportunities within telecommunications? Well, you know, the, the opportunities are so vast and, and widespread, it's just uh, hard to pick an area. But if you're talking about when somebody goes to school today, what should they learn? There are some fundamentals that you have to learn. I really strongly believe what I said before, that your ability to learn, to be educated, doesn't start until you get out of school. What you want to do in school is to get as broad an education as you have uh, with specific areas of expertise. Very few people that are mature enough when they're in high school and in college to figure out what they're going to be when they grow up. What you want to do in your early years, learn how to learn. Gather as much expertise as you can in any areas that interest you. Be curious. Expose your mind to as many things as possible. I have to believe that the same thing will happen to you as happened to me. Your mission in life it will become obvious uh, and uh, you'll go out and do things you have to. Uh, and if it means that you've got to become an expert in a narrow area, you'll pick that up. The idea that you can become an expert while you're uh, in high school and college, it may be true for some people, uh, but uh, I think learning how to learn is the most important thing to do when you're in what we call the educational stage. As far as what the specific jobs are going to be in the future, uh, there are going to be a lot more people doing uh, analysis. You think about, we are gathering so much data today. We have data about everything, and a tiny, tiny fraction of it data ever gets analyzed. We have uh, all kinds of data about COVID, 
and we know so little about it. Uh, I've been trying to understand about the human brain of late. It's my latest uh, hobby. And it turns out we've got huge amounts of information of what goes on in your brain and not the biggest idea how about the brain works. So uh, analytics are going to be super important in the future. Artificial intelligence is going to be important. Uh, but even more, uh, automation, uh, we've just barely started about it in, in the whole concept of automation, of relieving people uh, from the uh, jobs that are difficult and boring uh, and letting people use their creativity. There are more opportunities for different, doing different things today than there have ever, ever been before. And the biggest holdbacks are what I call silos. We tell children, well, you gotta, what are you going to do when you grow up? Well, they're incapable of doing that, of, of deciding specifically what job they're going to have. They shouldn't be educated in silos. The concept of education uh, is going to be one that embraces uh, everything. That we, instead of teaching people arithmetic, geography, history, let's teach them how to solve problems and to use all of these uh, areas that we used to call uh, silos as tools to solve problems, because that is what we do when we get jobs. That's what we get paid for. And, and that's what's the most stimulating thing in life, to be faced with a problem and to think about it and come up with a solution. Uh, I mentioned before, uh, the, those kinds of ideas uh, are the most stimulating things, the most exciting things in life. Absolutely. And you're giving me a chance to say something that I strongly believe in, which echoes what you're saying, Marty. I believe that for the most part, the one area where education failed me and probably failed a lot of other people, and I'm speaking about pre-college, but I could probably add college, but certainly pre-college is, I think education of the younger people needs to be focused more on teaching children life skills, like how to get along with people, conflict resolution, how to fix things, how to understand what a library has to offer and how to use a library or the internet. It's life skills that really are so important, how to take care of yourself, those kinds of things, which is kind of what you're saying, I guess. I think that's very profound. Uh, that's the reason I, I meet with people like you, because you contribute ideas, but you're right. Think about the fact that we're going to have more distance communications Something has got to replace the contact that we used to depend upon to let us collaborate very closely. So, yes, uh, the education has to change. Kids are not going to be in classrooms quite so much. The future education is going to be a combination of distance learning and people in classrooms. We used to depend upon the classrooms as being where people learned how to get together. So you are 100% right. We have to figure out how to replace that and maybe enhance. So we certainly could do a, a, an improved job of social interaction because uh, if there's anything that dismays me uh, is the conflicts that go on now that are just totally meaningless. The idea of putting people in boxes and saying that uh, if, if you're in that box, this is what you believe. We should not be doing that. We should be talking about issues. And, and yes, we should have arguments about issues, but not uh, personal, based upon color, religion, political affiliation. All those things are meaningless. 
that we do have to learn how to get along. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you. I'm glad you brought that up. Marty, I said at the outset that you are an inspiration to, I'm sure, many, many people, and certainly to me. And it's not just about the fact that you have invented so many things. It's that you're still active. Your mind is still sharp. You're still looking ahead. And here you are in your 90s. And I'm wondering if you could share with us, I'm sure you have so many of these, but just some kernels of wisdom that you've picked up in your life that might help us better understand how you've aged so successfully and how possibly, if we are fortunate enough, we can do the same. Well, first of all, let me tell you, uh, the thing I can't advise your audience about is how to get better genes. <laughs> but uh, I have a belief, uh, a holistic belief. Uh, I think everything is connected to everything else. Uh, and that's especially true in your body. And so, number one, you have to have a positive attitude. Uh, I don't know how you force yourself to do that. Uh, but if you don't have a positive attitude, how can you think about progress? How can you think about do doing things better if you can't assume that you can make things better? I think you have to believe that your brain and your body are connected. They both have to be worked on continuously. You have to be learning the rest of your life. And you have to look upon learning as being not a challenge, not a job, but an opportunity. An opportunity to have fun and enjoyment and satisfaction for the rest of your life. But your brain doesn't function by itself. Your brain functions with your body. You have to do the exercise. I was a runner, and when I stopped running, I would walk fast. <laughs> and when I'm walking fast, I kept, uh, I've been hiking and I do work out uh, three times a week. I do uh, weightlifting. I'm having trouble even with the uh, walking lately. I can't walk as far as I would like, so I've been swimming. So I swim a half a mile three times a week. Wow. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be able to do that, but the main issue is to keep moving. And so uh, taking care of your body is important as well. And of course, the final thing uh, is if you abuse yourself by uh, drinking a lot of alcohol, as an example, if you smoke, you're destroying your body. And if that's what your objective is, well, you will achieve it. I, I don't believe in the extremes uh, about being a vegetarian, or, but I do believe that you have to be careful about what you uh, eat uh, and take care of your body because that's the only one you got. You can't replace it. Absolutely right. Well, those are great. The fact that you're still swimming a half a mile, three days a week, going to the gym speaks volumes right there. For the remaining time, Marty, that you have on this earth, and I sure hope it's a lot, what's at least one thing that you still would like to achieve or at least be a part of? It's interesting you say that uh, because I am trying to figure out what my next career is. <laughs> It was in, in itself a uh, career, and I'm, and I'm finished with that one. Although I'd like your audience to buy a copy of it. I have one here in case you want to know what, well, you can't see what it looks like. They can't see it, but for sure we're going to tell them about cutting the cord. You can show them. I, I, I am trying to think about my next career. One of the things that I'm trying to do is share ideas, uh, and I'm trying to discipline myself to write some of these ideas down. I did write a paper on learning. I wrote a, a paper uh, on uh, how people 
can get satisfaction out of every different kind of job. So uh, sharing some of these ideas that I've come up with is, is one of my potential futures. Uh, I may go back on the speaking circuit when speaking personally uh, becomes important. And then uh, I won't have to be as generous as I am with people like you <laughs> who will pay me to come and talk. But uh, as you notice, I do enjoy sharing uh, ideas with people, especially smart people like you, Jeff. Oh, thank you. So, Very uh, that's the kind of thing that I'm looking forward to. The most important thing that I do outwardly is I meet with people like yourself. And I'm lucky enough to live in a university town here in San Diego. There are lots of smart people around, uh, and I try to hang around them and, and learn. Wow. What a beautiful town and what a beautiful outlook. And I know that before we went live, so to speak, you did emphasize to me, and you brought it up here too, Marty, the importance of continuing to learn, to learn, to learn, to learn. I couldn't agree with you more. How can our listeners find out more about you, about Dyna LLC, your other businesses, your book, of course, Cutting the Cord, anything else that you'd like to share with them? How can they find out about that, Marty? Well, we do have a website. In fact, we just revamped it recently. It's Dyna LLC, D-Y-N-A-L-L-C.com. And on that website, there's a lot of historical information. I get a lot of requests from children in schools. It's one of my passions is talking to uh, children. Uh, I love children because I think that they uh, are a lot more natural than us adults. Yes. There is a, an FAQ section in there so that children that are doing reports can get lots of basic information. DinaLLC.com. Uh, and uh, there's a, a lot of information in my book. My book is highly annotated, lots of resources uh, that have to do with cell phones and the uh, industry and history for that matter. So uh, those are uh, all resources that are available. And I'm definitely going to pick up a copy of your book. This has been terrific. I knew it would be. And I'm thrilled, Marty, that you were willing to spend the time on looking forward. I wish you continued good health, that you have this sharp mind for many, many more years and a good body that enables you to swim for a long time and more adventures. So thanks again. My, my pleasure, Jeff. You're a great interviewer, and I appreciate your giving me this opportunity. Thanks a lot. That's it for part two of our two-part series on mobile cell phones with our guest expert, Martin Cooper. If you missed part one of this series, you can find it at my website, www.jeff-ostroff.com, or you can listen to it on your favorite podcast hosting site. And if you have any questions you'd like to ask Marty or me, you can also reach me at my website. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's jeff Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F dot com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.